We do come this morning to the preaching of God's word, and we are looking at John chapter 5, where we left off last Lord's Day. If you have your copy of scripture, I would invite you to turn to John chapter 5 this morning. We are looking at verses 18 through 29. John 5, 18 through 29, and as usual, I know you're going to find it helpful to have your own copy of scripture open and to be reading along. With me. Most recently, Jesus has healed the man at the pool in Bethesda who had been uh, paralyzed for 38 long years. And the Savior had sovereignly pointed him out, gone to him, told him to take up his bed and walk, and the man was instantly healed. The divine power of Jesus was manifest. He did that on the Sabbath day. And the religious leaders of the Jews hated him for it. I said last week, um, nothing, made, nothing made the religious leaders in Jesus' day so angry as the mercy and the compassion of the Savior. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus heals a man, and they want to kill him for it. And so we are picking up where we left off last Lord's Day. We're looking at John Five, beginning in verse 18, we're going to read down to verse 29. Having told them, as they challenged him, that my father is working, Jesus said, until now, and I am working, John now says this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was, calling, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is doing, and greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, almost a century before C.S. Lewis uh, gave us his famous uh, trilemma, you, you probably have heard this. Lewis said, based on what Jesus did, based on all that he taught, based on 
all of those mighty works that he did. The trilemma is that either Jesus was a lunatic, a liar, or a Lord, and those are your three options. And almost a century before he said that, and I assume Lewis got this from the Scottish Presbyterian minister, John Rabbi Duncan, Duncan said this, Christ either deceived mankind by conscious fraud, or he was himself deluded and self-deceived, or he was divine. There is no getting out of this trilemma. It is inexorable. Um, There is no getting out of this trilemma. There are three options. Jesus deceived people. Jesus was deceived, or Jesus is divine. And, and nothing tells us more about the deity of Jesus Christ than the fourth gospel. This gospel opened with those great words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That is the clearest statement of the deity of Jesus Christ in the scripture. Jesus was not like God. He was not claiming to be something he wasn't. Jesus, in fact, self-identified as God because he is God. My best friend always says, it's not good to give Jesus, to deny Jesus of his self-identity. Jesus said he was very God, a very God. And in a day when people demand that you give them their identity, it's not good to deny Jesus the identity that he is the God in whom we all live and move and have our being. He is the God who spoke the world into existence by the word of his power. He is the God who even now upholds all things by the word of his power. And as I told our children outside this morning, every time you breathe, you breathe God's air. Every breath you take, the Lord Jesus Christ is giving you that breath. Every heartbeat you have, he is making your heart beat because he is very God of very God. And if the fourth gospel gives us such a clear word about the deity of Jesus, there is almost no passage in scripture that is more clear than this one about who Jesus said he was. Um, This is the greatest self-authentication from Jesus about who he claimed to be. You know, I have heard people in my short life say, nonsense like Jesus never claimed to be God. No, he totally claimed to be God all the time. He, he absolutely claimed to be God in the flesh. God and man in one person. In this passage, he is going to tell us very clearly that he is fully God, the same with the Father, and that he is fully man in harmony with the Father. Now, it's interesting, before we look at this in any depth, um, Notice that the Jews knew who Jesus claimed to be. Notice verse 18. They wanted to kill him because he was healing on the Sabbath and because they knew he was claiming to be God. And even though they don't say to him right now, who do you think you are? They essentially are saying that. And so Jesus is now going to respond and he's going to say, if you want to know how much like God I am, let me tell you how much like God I am. He is going to tell us this morning two things. One, he is going to declare the glory of his person. 
And then he is going to declare the glory of his work. We'll notice as we look at this, Jesus is now answering them. I want, I want you to notice something in verse 19, and you probably know this if you grew up in a church, if you've ever been in church. When you, when you were a child, um, you were taught the importance of the truly, trulys. Jesus, in, in the old authorized version, assuredly, assuredly. Or, um, or uh, we, could, we could say he's saying without a doubt. Jesus is always saying truly, truly. One of the interesting things is Jesus was a prophet. He was not just a prophet, but he was a prophet. And he was the prophet of prophets. He was the great revealer of God as God in the flesh. And yet one of the interesting things in the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament prophets, they began their prophecies by saying, thus says Yahweh, thus says the Lord. And they spoke as the mouthpiece of God and they spoke on the authority of God, the Holy Spirit being in them, but they, they, they prefaced their prophecies by saying, thus says the Lord, and then God comes in the flesh, and he doesn't say, thus says the Lord. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. You see, there's authority in that. You cannot like that authority. You can reject that authority. It's not going to make a bit of difference. All the divine authority is in Jesus saying, truly, truly, I say to you. Um, you know, when we think about Jesus, and many people have terrible misconceptions about him, um, we, we may, lots of people also have what they think are high views of Jesus, but, but they don't understand the divine authority with which he speaks. Ligon Duncan says this, he says, you may admire Jesus as a miracle worker. You may view Jesus as the greatest philosopher that ever lived. You may view him as a radical moral reformer or as the greatest advocate for the poor who ever walked the planet. And if you believed all those things about him, but you don't believe that he, as God, came to save us from our sins, then you are not believing in the Jesus of Scripture. You can, you can think... Jesus is the best teacher, the best philosopher, the best miracle worker, the best social reformer the world has ever seen. But if you do not believe that he is God manifest in the flesh, come to save us from our sins by his death on the cross, then you do not believe in the Jesus of Scripture. And here Jesus is telling us, he is saying that he is one with God the Father. Notice this. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, this son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does in like manner. So who was healing the man at the pool in Bethesda? God the Father was. Who else was healing the man at the pool in Bethesda? God the Son was. And God the Holy Spirit was. So that whatever Jesus did, the Father and the Spirit were doing. Um, trying to explain the Trinity is impossible. Um, and I'm not going to use dumb illustrations like water and ice. And that's, that's modalism, Patrick. It's not, <laughs> that's not a good illustration. Um, simultaneously, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit exist eternally. And, and he is one God in three persons. And whatever the Father does, the Son does. Whatever the Son does, the Father and the Spirit does. So that whatever Jesus says and does... The Father and the Spirit are doing and saying. 
And the best illustration I can come up with, when I was a kid, I loved watching synchronized diving in the Olympics because, number one, I was like, how in the world do these, do they do the same thing? And then they'd be like, I'd be like, that's amazing. And they'd be like, that was a terrible dive. And I'm like, how in the world do those people know what a good dive is? <laughs> I'm like, just the fact that they could do that, even if they land on a slant, I'm like, that's still amazing. <laughs> well, I want you to think about this. Jesus and the Father and the Spirit are, are synchronized at every point in everything they do as the one God in three persons. So Jesus is telling us, he's saying, whatever you see the Son do, the Father's doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does. Um, notice verse 21. As the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son gives life to whom he will. Let, let me just say this at the beginning. When Jesus reveals the glory of his person, the first thing he says is, he is God in every way that God is God. The Apostle Paul will affirm this in Colossians, in Philippians chapter 2, where he says, who being in the form of God, talking about Christ, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. That's Paul's, Paul's expounding what Jesus is saying. It wasn't, it wasn't sinful for Jesus to claim to be God. He wasn't deluded. He wasn't deceiving. He was speaking the truth. And, and the same time, this is awesome. This is where Jesus is talking about his two natures. He's fully God, but he's also telling us that he's fully man. Um, notice this. He says, the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he's doing. Now, to understand this, if you ask me the question after church, um, did Jesus have to learn things? I'm going to say yes and no. According to his divine nature, Jesus didn't have to learn anything. But as he took true humanity to himself and became God and man in one person, we're told in the scriptures that he grew in wisdom and stature, that he laid aside. He didn't cease being God. He laid aside access to what was his by divine right. And, and, and just to put this in simple terms, the God-man got tired. He got hungry. He was truly man in every way that man is man and truly God. And as a man... He, he studied the scriptures. Luke tells us he grew in wisdom and stature. He learned. He developed. He, he matured so that 12-year-old Jesus, though he was sinless, was not as mature as 30-year-old Jesus. He matured to every level, at every stage, in every capacity. Jesus was sinless man representing his people as sinless man, as the last Adam. Um, one old theologian, Irenaeus, early church theologian, said Jesus grew at every age and every stage to redeem people at every age and every stage. He became a child to redeem children, and he became an adult to redeem adults. Isn't that fascinating? Here, Jesus is admitting that the Father was revealing things to him. He was, one, one writer has put it this way, Jesus was the Father's apprentice as the incarnate Christ. 
He was in the apprenticeship program with his father, and the father was revealing things to him and through him. And so Jesus says the father shows him all that he's doing. And notice this, Jesus then says, in greater works than these, he will show him so that you may marvel. We're going to come back to that. What are the greater works? We'll come back to that in a minute. But Jesus is both saying he is the glorious, eternal God, and he is the glorious, incarnate Son, and the Father loved him and was always pleased with him. And everything that he did, he was loved by his Father and did to please his Father. You know, relationships between parents can often be very difficult. You know, I want my sons, they see all the bad about me. I want them to be able to be mature enough to sift through that when they grow up and say, I don't want to be like dad in this. And, and yet we want our children to also get whatever good may be there, small though it may be. And we want them to learn from that and to embrace that. And there, there, there's, there's a relationship between fathers and sons, you know, um, it's not enough. It's not enough that we go through the motions with our children, just checking off discipline and worship and just checking things off and making sure we're just doing everything structured. There's, there's relationship. Um, I remember um, my own father saying, I'm your dad, not your friend. I'm not criticizing my dad, but he was wrong. Parents should both be authority figures, and they should be friends. And so within the Godhead, there is this beautiful relationship between the Father and the Son, equal as God. The Father and the Son, before the world was made, dwelt in perfect harmony, delighting. What was God doing before he made you? He was delighting in himself. Jonathan Edwards once said, I thought this was so helpful, in order for you to know yourself fully, there would have to be two of you. So within the Godhead, there's three persons, one God, and he knows himself perfectly. He delights in himself, the infinite God. And the Son is declaring that in the flesh, as the incarnate Son, the Father loved him and revealed what he was doing in him and through him and what he was going to do through him. Um, J.C. Ryle reflecting on this passage, said, Surely he who had in his hand the mighty prerogatives of giving life and judging the world had a right to speak of himself as equal with God. What Jesus is saying here, and listen very carefully, and we're going to talk about this when we consider his works more, but Jesus is saying here that on the last day, there is one person, there is one person who is going to save or judge all people, and that's the Son. The Father has given all judgment to the Son because he is the Son. Um, when I used to witness as a young Christian on the boardwalk in New Jersey, I remember, you know, everybody, I've told you this, just suppressing the truth constantly. And, and I got to the point several times where I'd say to people, look, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you think about Jesus because you are going to stand before him. You are going to bow your knee, and you are going to be subject to his salvation or his judgment. He is, ever, he is the terminus. He is he's the alpha and the omega. 
the end of creation, Ryle said that the Trinity and the world in which we live are connected by the Son. That's what Jesus is saying. He's the bridge between the triune God and the world. And he, he is going to show his full deity on Judgment Day. There's not going to be any question. And, and what Jesus is going to say here as we come to consider his work, secondly, he is essentially going to say, and he says this everywhere, he says it in chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you want to make people angry, tell them that no one will be saved apart from Jesus. That's why they crucified Jesus, because he is the only way to the Father. No one will be saved apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus affirms that here. Notice, look at, look at verse 23. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He who does not, he does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. But notice verse 26, as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Uh, John, in 1 John, will put this very clearly. He'll say, um, whoever does not have the Son does not have the Father. I, I, I'm always a little bit amazed when I hear people who are not trusting in Jesus talk about their relationship with God. Because no one is reconciled to God apart from the Son. Um, he is the exclusive mediator between God and man. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Whoever honors the Son honors the Father. So we want to be crystal clear about that. We live in a day when people want to, they want to play with the truth, and they want to pander to the world. It doesn't help anybody. Everyone needs to hear this. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Whoever has the Son has the Father. Whatever the Father does, the Son does. The Father has given all authority to the Son. The Son is going to exercise all authority on Judgment Day. By the way, the greater works that I think Jesus is talking about is the works on Judgment Day when he raises the dead either to eternal life or eternal damnation. Notice Jesus says at the end of this passage, I always love how the Savior prefaces things like, don't marvel at this. I mean, these are, these are big claims. He's like, don't marvel. These are big claims. He says, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, let me say this. Jesus is not saying if you do good enough, you will attain to the resurrection of life on the last day. Um, now, he is saying that your life will reflect what you profess, and those who are trusting in him will live lives where they are zealous to do what is good and right. And, and on Judgment Day, what they've done will accord with what is true of Christ. So God is going to judge all of us in accord, not on the basis, but in accord with what we've done. 
which is merely evidence of what we've done with Christ. If we're trusting him, our lives will be reflecting that we are zealous to do what is pleasing to God, and we are, we are eager for that. And if we're not trusting him, then our works are going to be merely evil. And let me just show you this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is the glorious good news. Look back at verse 24. Jesus said, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, presently, has eternal life. And then notice this. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Isn't that glorious? If you're a believer, if you've, if you've experienced a resurrection in your soul, because that's what Jesus says, the time is coming and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. So right now, if you're spiritually dead and you hear Christ's voice, he, his goal is to bring sinners from spiritual death to life. He wants you to hear his voice and to come out of that deadness. And, and for those of us who have experienced that, what, what happens at conversion is nothing less than a resurrection. And so what's happened in your soul, if you've heard the voice of the Son and you've already come from death to life, Jesus says there is no judgment on Judgment Day for you. You know, one of the most terrible thoughts for believers is to wonder, what will it be like when, when I'm just laid bare before God on Judgment Day? All the evil, all the wickedness, all the filth of my thoughts and my heart and my life, all my failures. And Jesus says, look, if you believe on the Son, you already have eternal life. If you listen to the Son, you already have eternal life. And notice what Jesus says. Again, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Y'all, that is, that's the most wonderful, comforting, assuring thought in Scripture. If you are listening to the Son, if you have heard the Son, if you are trusting the Son of God, you will not come into judgment. For those who actually know and believe there's a judgment day, that's a very comforting thought. There is no judgment. This is, this is really what the apostle proclaims in Romans 8.1, right? There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love the words of Wesley and Anne Can It Be. No condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine, alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. How is it, how is it that if you're a believer, there's no judgment for you? It's not because God says, you know what? He's a kind of nice guy. I'm going to, I'm just, I'm going to just push away all the evil and just not enter into judgment with him. If, if God did that, by the way, the God of Islam can decide whether to send people to heaven or hell without any atonement, because he's an idol. The triune God would be evil if he said, I don't care what you've done. I kind of like you. He'd be evil. He'd be an evil God. He wouldn't be just. But here's the glory of the gospel. The God who has the sole authority to judge me, 
he comes into this dark and fallen world and he takes flesh to himself, just like me, flesh and blood. And, and he comes, he comes to a, a people, he's born a Jew, and they reject him. But, but he comes with the mission of saving people from his own judgment. Listen very carefully. He comes on the mission of saving people from his own judgment. And, and he goes to the cross, and all the wickedness that you have done that should send you to hell forever, he takes on himself. It's all imputed to him. It's all credited to him. God doesn't count it against his people because he counts it against Jesus. And then God pours all of his wrath out on Jesus so that the son experiences hell on the cross. He takes all the wrath in his infinitely holy soul. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer is so that God will not forsake you. God will not judge you because he judged the son. So that it's not, it's not that, it's not that God pushes your sin aside so as not to enter into judgment with you, but he enters into judgment with his people when he enters into judgment with the son on the cross. We can say when we look at the cross, I am saved by God and from God. I am saved by God and from the wrath of God. Because as one songwriter puts it, only God can take the wrath of God and survive. Only God can take the wrath of God and come out alive. He comes out of the grave. He takes the wrath. He survives. He comes out of the grave. All authority is given to him. And I love this thought. I want to leave this with you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ on Judgment Day, I think Michael Card put it this way, you can look into your judge's face and see your Savior there. On Judgment Day, we'll look into the judge's face and see our Savior there. Isn't that marvelous? On Judgment Day, you will look into the face of the triune God, and if you're trusting in Jesus, you will see nothing but a Savior who says you've already passed from death to life, and God will not enter into judgment with you. Now, I don't know about you, but I need to hear that every day of my life. I need to hear it every morning. I need to hear it every afternoon. I need to hear it every evening, because we are so sinful, and because we forget it so quickly. Um, you know, I love, I love the way the writer of Hebrews puts it when he says, um, that by nature all men are living in fear of death, whether they admit it or not, and that Christ came and through death he destroyed the one who had the power of death to deliver those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So that if you're a believer in Jesus, he doesn't want you to be afraid of death. Now, if you're not a believer, you should be horribly afraid of death because after death is judgment. And no amount of good works, no amount of anything you do or say will, will affect that in the least. Um, I wanna, I wanna ask you this morning, have you ever really seen who Jesus truly is? Do you really know 
that he is God overall, blessed forever. Um, if, if you've never seen that, then you've never really seen who the Christ of Scripture is. Um, I want to also ask you today if you have come to terms with the fact that what Jesus says here is true. There's a day of judgment coming. He has all authority. He's going to render judgment over all mankind. We had a great, by the way, I'll leave you with this thought. There was a great theologian here in Charleston way back, grew up on James Island, I'm told, uh, John Algerido, and he has this sermon on the Last Judgment. And, and it's, it's horrifying, and it should be. And he talks about the sea of all people gathered before the throne on Judgment Day. This is what it's going to be. He paints the picture. And the sun is going to be there, and he's going to be rendering judgment. The good news is if you're in him by faith, he's already taken that judgment for you. You've already passed from death to life. If you're not in him, then you desperately need to hear the voice of the Son of God today, and you need to come forth, and you need to live. Um, If I could be more earnest about this, I would. Um, Life is so short. So short. It's so fleeting. Um, If you're a believer, I want to I want to encourage you this morning, don't be fearful. There's nothing to fear if you're trusting in Jesus Christ. There's nothing to fear. Um, Take great comfort in the fact that he's taken the judgment for you. You've already passed from death to life. You're already seated in heaven. You already have eternal life at work in you. That is glorious good news. Be comforted. Let him who has ears to hear... Let him hear what the Spirit says this morning. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, these are weighty truths and truths that we need for our souls. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have revealed them to us. We pray this morning that you would make us to hear your voice with spiritual ears. We pray that you would comfort the hearts of all those who are trusting in you, that you would remove that certain fearful expectation of judgment. We pray that you would remind us of the privileges that are already ours because of what you have done on the cross. Lord, we pray that you would work powerfully in us to give us that hope of passing through judgment on the last day. We do pray, if any do not know you, that today would be the day of salvation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.